Hello everyone, Carter here with another episode of Out of the Hourglass presented by Nolan Consulting Group. Today's episode features the sales guys, Andrew Amron and Jim Falk, as they discuss Stephen Pressfield's critically acclaimed book, The War of Art. Jim takes a deep dive on many of the common pieces of resistance salespeople face, whether it be approaching an individual sale or sales as a whole. Thanks for listening and don't forget to rate and subscribe. Enjoy the show. Jim, welcome back into the studio. We are here doing uh, sales review again. Sales review. Yeah, and welcome. Thank you. I always feel welcome here, Andrew, with you. Good. We and, and let's not forget to acknowledge our fine producer, Carter. Carter is in the house. Carter in the house. He's giving us the thumb up, so I think our, our recording levels are good. Sounds good. And we can go. So, Jimmy, what session are we doing today? Uh, so today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, turning pro and learning how we can crush resistance. Uh, and, of course, we're going to apply that to our role as a salesperson. Nice. Yeah, um, it is nice. All right, so for the benefit of the audience, uh, there's a book here that we're talking about, I think, right? So War of Art, not, not the Art not, of— I was going to thank you. You do it. You, you <laughs> take it. I won't steal your thunder. No, not the, not the Art of War, the War of Art. And there's a follow-up book. So that's Stephen Pressfield. Stephen Pressfield. Uh, same guy that wrote uh, Legend of Bagger Vance, if anybody read that. I actually read that. Uh, way back in high school, actually. I saw the movie. I did not read the book. Book is much better. Uh, that's what they always say. Books, that's what they always say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but there's a follow-up book. So uh, the the War of Art, and there's a, there's a follow-up book, basically a whole book about one of the chapters in War of Art, which is, what's that called? Turning Pro. So Turning Pro. Turning Pro, yeah. And so that's the topic of our conversation today. Yeah, and... And I, I will tell you, I, you know, the, the more that I dive into these topics of the mind, uh, Carter and I were talking about it a few minutes ago, you, you know, there, there's no amount of um, hard, hard skills training. So we always talk about, and when we do our sales boot camp, um, and really teaching any skill, we always talk about that there's the hard skills and the soft mm-hmm. skills. Mm-hmm. You know, the hard skills are... are the uh, the techniques, the word tracks, the strategies, um, anybody can write those out and teach those. But until we really believe and internalize it in our head, until we believe that we're capable, that's the soft skill training. Um, until we're able to flip that switch in our head, um, it doesn't matter how much of the hard skill training we do. Uh, we're we're only going to be so successful. So at the at the boot camp, we talk about Eddie the I five, mm. and he if he's he's oh, from zero to ten, he's a five. He's right in the middle. He so is. he has a great week, and wouldn't you know it, within a couple weeks, he's back to being average. Yeah. Or he has a bad week. He says, "Well, I'm not that bad." Yeah. He's back to being average, but he can never maintain that top performance yeah. until he changes that five. Exactly. He gets that five to a ten. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a saying that I always like to live by. I heard a trainer say this many many years ago, and it always resonated with me. Um, and a sales be, trainer or a, a sales weight, trainer? A weight trainer. Uh, no, a sales trainer. You're looking pretty sharp there, Jimmy. You look like you're working out. I've been pumping the guns a little yeah, bit. Yeah. For those that can see me on the camera, there you go. Uh, <laughs> all right, let, let, we're, we're in the weeds, Andrew. <laughs> but so he said, um, you earn to the penny exactly what you believe you're worth. And, I, you know, I heard that over and over again. And 
Until you do this, um, you perform in your craft for a period of time, it didn't really settle in with me. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, as I, as I started to become uh, more versed in Sandler training and, and reading his book and his teachings and being involved in a lot of the, those types of sales training classes, you know, I was then introduced to the identity role theory. And, um, you know, he always said, you, you perform in your roles exactly how you see yourself conceptually. So say that, slow down right there. I know we, we've, we've talked about this a ton, right? But so, so say that one more time for the benefit of the audience. You perform in your role exactly how you see yourself conceptually. And so what, what do we mean by that? So we, when we do the IR training, we always talk about um, ranking where you, um, how you feel about your identity, your feeling of self-worth, your, those things that make you uniquely you. And so you bring up Eddie, the I-5 salesperson. We always use that as an example because conceptually, Eddie always thought he was average. Um, and Eddie could be any salesperson across the country. Across the, across the globe, for that matter. Mm -hmm. But he always believed uh, in his mind that he was average. Um, so what happens? The mind is is a really powerful tool. And for some reason, sales is just, it's an amplifier for all of this. And there's, pro there's probably lots of situations that are. But sales is one of the big ones where it, anything you're thinking in your mind is going to be times 10 or times 20. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, it's one of the things that you you have to be really strong mentally to excel in. And you know, so to go back to Eddie the I five, you know, there would be there would be a week where um, he just he hits home run after home run, and he he goes out on twenty jobs, he sells nineteen of them, and he's probably going to get the twentieth. And that weekend, he's mulling about his house, and he says, "Wow, that was one heck of a week." And whether he realizes it or not, he's having conversations in his head. Um, and, he's, and he's thinking to himself, he's like, boy, you know, I, he's like, I know I'm good, but I, I'm not that good. And so what happens the following weeks, um, he reverts back to being that average salesperson. And then he hits a slump. And he has a terrible week, doesn't close anything. And that weekend, again, he's hitting the reset button. He's mulling about his house, going about his activities. And, and in his mind, those, those conversations are happening. Well, I know I'm not the greatest salesperson, but I'm not that bad. And so what happens magically, the weeks that follow, he starts to perform in an average role again. And there's, there's all kinds of excuses, right, in his head. So, you know, wow, I'm, that, that was a great string of customers. I better look out because bad customers are coming and Sure enough, the next week, bad, you know, did they need, to, were they really bad customers? Did he project that? Probably. Yeah. Or, man, that was a week of bad customers. I, I, this, this, there got to be some more good customers coming. And sure enough, the good customers come. And it's, it's not all happenstance, right? I mean, a lot of it is the way Eddie, the I-5, was thinking. It's, it's all the way he was thinking. Um it's all the way that we think. And, and that's why it bears repeating again that you perform in your roles exactly how you see yourself conceptually. You to, and this goes beyond sales. I mean, and, you know, we always talk about the roles in our lives and we all wear a million hats. Um, 
But to be really strong at any of these roles or crafts, we'll call it, um, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. Um, you have to bring and exude your own confidence. You can't let little setbacks um, crush you. Um, and that's where this concept of resistance comes in. Yeah, that's a great segue. So, so suffice it to say that if, if you're having self-doubt inside you and you think it's not affecting your ability to sell, it absolutely is. Yeah. If you're in any way, and I think to my, the first thing that comes to mind is like a, is a new rep. You know, and somebody that's maybe they're not new to sales, but they're new to the company mm -hmm. and they're learning how to estimate. Maybe they're learning a software to help estimate. They're learning a sales process. They're learning industry knowledge about whatever um, industry they're in. They got to learn new, new things so they don't know all the answers. And there's all the second guessing happening. And if you don't think that second guessing is, is affecting everything your behaviors how you come across to the customer all those little things make a huge make a huge difference yeah i think that's where we're coming from right it, it, is that a good summary that's that's a perfect summary Andrew. all right good i yeah. like being perfect yeah all right well, so you hit it <laughs> that brings up so now this idea of resistance i think what what was so cool about it is that it, it was a, a very cool perspective on the identity role situation and conquering resistance so for the benefit of the audience can you give us a Give us a, a definition of the, of the Turning Pro book and the resistance that the author talks about. Yeah, so first I, I, I'm going to give the book uh, a major plug because, um, you know, over the years I've read a lot of different material. And, and this is the type of book that you can sit down and read within an hour or two. Wow. And, I, I mean, it's a simple read. And, and a lot of times what I have found over the years, the simplest reads are sometimes the most powerful. And it's very straightforward and to the point. And so the two major concepts that, that he's talking about, um, one is the, the distinct differences between an amateur and a professional. And a lot of times that, you know, what, no matter what the roles are that we're portraying in our lives, we may think we're professionals, but we're really acting like amateurs. And the other major um, theme of the book is this idea of resistance. Man, talk about uh, calling poser on yourself. Like, I, as you say that, I'm like, oh, man, where am I posing? I'm a <laughs> big poser when it comes to something. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm pretending to be confident, but I'm not really. And I, I got to root that out. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, so he, he talks about, um, the two lives uh, that we all lead. And there's the life that we live currently and the life unlived. And only one thing stands between the life that you want to live, that fulfilled life, and it's resistance. Resistance is this all-powerful, unflappable force. It doesn't sleep. It doesn't take breaks. And at every moment of every day, it is looking to beat you down. And, and often keep... feels real, right? It, there's, it's, it can be obvious head trash, but sometimes the head trash isn't so obvious. We identify with these limiting beliefs. I can't yeah. do that. And, it, and you you, you got to recognize it as resistance. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because, you know, when I started to think about it, I realized that resistance manifests itself in many, many ways. 
Um, and a matter of fact, so another session that we did in Napa that uh, Brian and I did with a few of the summit members, um, I started to think about the ways that resistance can keep us from living that life we really want to live. And I, and I just started to jot down some things that resonated with me, and I called it Resistance Greatest Hits. So I want to, <laughs> I want to read a few of these because um, I would be willing to bet, you know, whether it's with you or other people listening to this podcast, um, a lot of people are, go- are going to recognize and, and really internalize yeah. some of these and realize, oh, that's resistance. So let me, let me read a few of these because these came from my head and, and really from my mind and my heart as well. So uh, resistance greatest hits. Uh, resistance keeps us from making one last sales call for the day uh, or calling that prospect that's been hiding from us. Uh, resistance keeps us from changing our diet uh, when health and well-being depends upon it. Mm-hmm. Uh, resistance keeps us from doing one last lap, uh, one last set in the weight room, or starting a new workout regimen. Uh, resistance whispers and let us know, lets us know it's okay to do the things that are important to us tomorrow. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Jimmy. Re- <laughs> Eat that chocolate. <laughs> Come on. It's not that bad, Jimmy. Here's the key with that. So resistance hopes tomorrow never comes. Because we always say, so one of the things that... Such a good line. <laughs> I wrote that myself. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'll bring it above a whisper here. Um one of the things that I realized that resistance was defeating me at was um, uh, my my tendency to procrastinate. You know, a lot of th- a lot of times, especially if we're trying something new or we're going to get out of our comfort zone, um, it would be easy for me to say, "Well, you know, I got a million and one things going on today. Mm. I'll do that tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, or I'll have more time to focus on that, or let me put a little thought and planning into that." And I and then I realized in certain areas of my life tomorrow was never coming. So what was what was the marker? Because the, those you know, going back to the identifying part. I mean, anybody can identify with those as real reasons. So what was what was the marker that clued you in that maybe if not all instances, but in a lot of instances, those were excuses, not reasons. Oh, they were. Um, they, no, they they were definitely excuses. Um, I mean, that's, that's how resistance defeats us because we rationalize these excuses as a way just to put off something to maybe never. So it's just cold turkey. Like, I don't have time is not a line I'm going to listen to. I'm well, done. so just- I sh- – yeah, thank you. I didn't mean to cut you off. But um, so there, I actually shared two stories of where resistance was defeating me. And um, one stemmed from many, many years ago, um, mm. and it, it surprised a lot of people, and it was tough to get up and share some of these thoughts. Um, but you know, 15 years ago, I, I had this paralyzing fear of public speaking. Really? Really. Wow. Um, I know it surprised a lot of people. Um, and, I, you know, all kinds of head trash going on. Um, oh, why do people want to, you know, what do I have to offer? Why do people want to listen to me? I'm sure there's other people they'd rather listen to or, or have more to offer. Mm. Tons and tons of head trash. And it, it, it was just this paralyzing fear. And I, and I realized that, you know, this was early in my career at Nolan Painting, and I was just starting to become more involved with Nolan Consulting Group. And I realized that um, 
if I wanted to continue to grow professionally, grow within Nolan Painting and be seen as a mentor and a leader and a motivator and, and likewise with Nolan Consulting Group, I really had to crush resistance and, and mm. defeat this fear and, and uh, this paralyzing feeling. And so I started to flip the switch and I started to write out um, uh, scripting that I would say over and over again. So I'd take the negative head trash and turn it into positive self-talk. And I realized that the more the more I did that, um, each time I'd feel a little bit better about myself getting in front of a group of people. And then the more you do it and the more you practice it, it only becomes stronger. And now I've gotten to the point where I love it. Like I look forward to getting in front of a group of people, sharing knowledge, sharing some of my personal experiences and stories. And I, and I say, and I continue to say to myself, you know, I, I love, I love to communicate. I love to control the group. I like to be the, the center of attention and I love to share what I've learned. So that was just That's one awesome example. Story. Yeah. Thank it you. shows at the, at the boot camp and at the grand summit and other places it shows. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so, so bring it back to the grand summit now. So that, that's a pretty clear definition of what resistance is. Uh, uh, the agenda. So for the session, what was the what was the agenda for the set for the people listening? Um, what'd you end up covering? At yeah. The session? So give the us, give us thirty seconds on the agenda. Yeah, no, glad to. So the the agenda. So for the sales track, because um, I I did touch base the, on this on another session as well, but. Uh, in the sales track, um, we we actually took a look at uh, some of the distinct traits and characteristics um, that that make up a a really great, well-rounded salesperson, and we broke those down and we created scripting. Um, and Brian and I went back and forth, and uh, one of us played the amateur or nice. the amateur salesperson, the other the professional salesperson. Nice. And it's really interesting, uh, you know, when you start to break down some of those traits and characteristics that do make, make up a great salesperson, there's this, the, the differences between the, the amateur and the pro are both subtle and vast at the same time. It's really interesting. You know, a lot of people look at amateur salespeople and think they're professionals. But when we start to, to, to peel the onion back a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, you, you realize they're really amateurs and they're not acting as professionals. So maybe somebody who's experienced it, once, once you start conquering resistance, you're going to start noticing resistance from other people. What, yeah. what the reality Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so a, a couple of things we were, we were kind of planning out the podcast um, and one of the questions was, uh, so what we've talked about this before, um, did anybody in the audience have any good examples or did they bring, what was, what was the response from the audience? Um, so I'd be lying if I, could, if I told you I could remember exact examples, but I will tell you that um, both at the session, um, after we did this session and even after we left California, I continued to get responses back wow. that... Um, even some posted on Facebook, I think you've, you had seen a few, where they realized that resistance had been crushing them and, and keeping them from not only being a professional salesperson, but living that life they really want to live. 
and uh, they talked about ways that they were going to crush resistance and, That's and awesome. make improvements. So pretty, really powerful stuff. So hands down, it was impactful. The, Very much This topic so. continues to be uh, an impactful thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Can you, even, so even people with experience at it, I think you're, maybe your testament to that, that it's not just for new people, that conquering resistance continues the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. And, and not just to, your role as a salesperson, uh, your role in, in, in everything that you do. So it's like, uh, I guess it's more like um, exercising. If you, if you stop conquering resistance, you're going to get weak at it. So you, it's something you have to keep exercising and keep. Is that fair to say? Me too. Yeah. I mean, just like you work out your physical well-being, you have to do so mentally as well. All right, so the, the session was largely uh, about implementing, right? It was the topic's been talked about, and so I'll, I'll reference prior recordings where you and Brian, you mentioned it, uh, you did the Amateur Pro skit um, and, and wrote out a, a whole flow of, of things that the, the professional sales rep and amateur sales rep conquered. So that is on the Summit Library mm-hmm. if people want to listen to it. For now, though, uh, you and Brian wrote some new scripts, uh, and dissected them, went into it a little bit further. Uh, and we've got three here that we picked out. So wh- which ones did we pick out here? So um, so this is three of the 10 that we did at the Napa session, but um, we thought these were some of the, the most important ones. Um, the first script is uh, entitled Dozens of Leads um, with No Next Step Agreement in Place. Mm. <laughs> That's a topic we continue uh, to talk about that. over Wait, No over. next step agreements. I still hear it way too much. Uh, the second script was entitled Rejection um, and how uh, getting re- rejection, uh, if you don't have a strong identity, really affects your day in an adverse way. Uh, and the third script we're gonna, we were going to walk through was called Asking Direct Questions. Nice. Yeah. It's a must. It's a must. So you, the audience probably hears us shuffle around our papers. We, we've got... Uh, a handful of papers here on our on our table to uh, rehearse these scripts, and these were handouts, I think, right? Did we were these in the book or were they handouts? Um, Could I, somebody get their hands on these if they wanted? Yes, these I believe these were in the book, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, good. Yep. And so if if any if anybody in the audience wants a copy, let us know. We can we can get them to you. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So let's uh, let's hit this. Let's do it. Uh, We'll start with uh, dozens of leads, and so I'll play amateur, and you'll play the pro. No, that's that sounds natural to me. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Couldn't read it. It was a it was a meatball right there. Car- Carter producer Carter uh, is laughing at that one. That was just, that was softball. <laughs> nice. He's Carter shaking his head. He he. he I don't hear much coming from him, so we must be laughing internally. We're going <laughs> to get a third ourselves. mic. We're, we need to get a third mic so Carter can, <laughs> producer can chime in. Uh, all right, so Amateur says, Jimmy, you know what? I, I, got, I got dozens of open leads. I got some on my desk. I got folders in my car. There's hope in those leads. Some of them will close. I, some of them will. I know it. Um, the prospect is going to call me if they want the work. I, I go... And I treat everyone the same. I give everybody an estimate. And if they, if they want it, they'll call me back. I don't want to bother people. You know, I'm not that kind of rep. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I respect that. But personally, I can't live like that. I'm a man on a mission. 
Disorder and uncertainty is not something that I tolerate. Every open lead and pipeline deals has a next step agreement or a what's next and when. From my experience, half of them will close. It's my role as a sales professional to get a next step agreement on every customer I visit. That's my closing appointment. I love that last line. So out of out of uh, simulation here. So <laughs> what would you, I've heard you say this before, what would you rather do? What, or what, what's a better use of your time to call and call and call and leave messages or to at least take a shot mm-hmm. at getting an actual appointment for the close? And then I, I've heard Brian say a lot, if, you, if you're going to make an appointment, make appointment for the close. Do a drive-by estimate, but make an appointment to close the deal. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'll tell you, nothing, and we've heard this over and over again as trainers, nothing wants to, and I'm going to, I'll try to be as polite as possible. (laughs) Nothing wants wants me, forces me to, to put my head through a wall more than hearing salespeople Mind you, salespeople say that I don't have time to set up next step agreements. Oh, oh. so oh. so so it's you like have nails time. On chalkboard. So you have time to take the original, the initial call. You have time to set up the appointment. You have time to drive to the appointment. You have time to write up a scope of work. You have time to uncover pain and talk about budget. Well, I'm making some assumptions there as well, but you have time to do all these things. You have a time. You have time to write the proposal. Uh, you have time to email or mail it, but yet you don't have time, an extra five or 10 minutes to not only set up a closing appointment, but, but get your closure. Uh, so to me, this is time management 101. Um, I figure if I, can, if I can spend an extra, we'll say five, 10 minutes, and honestly, that's generous. And that extra five, 10 minutes for me is, is up front uh, by setting the table. Um, that's where I start to plant the seed of, of what's going to happen at the end of our meeting. Uh, we're going to talk about budget, and if it's something you feel comfortable with, ultimately, we can talk about what our next step, yeah, steps I, are going to look so like. There's so many easy one-liners to set up getting a next step agreement. I, I, I hear sales reps, so they're, they're afraid they, they can't get a next step agreement, um, or they're asking and they're not getting, which is a really good sign you're not bonding a rapport or finding pain. So number one, it's just a litmus test to find out how we're doing. Two, it's uh, in consideration for the work we've done here, I'd like to speak with you one more time. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with that? Um, Absolutely. In my experience, as you get other estimates, what you want is going to change. Often we're responsive. We're here first. But my bid will likely be obsolete. Could we get together before you make your decision just to review it? Two easy one-liners. Yeah. to set up, to uh, uh, land the plane on or set the stage for getting a next step agreement. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that I always teach is that uh, a really a really strong, successful next step agreement has three key components. Um, number one, uh, you have to take the pressure off the prospect um, by letting them know that you're okay with no. And for me, that happens as part of setting the table um, early and up front. Um, you know, where I, I let them know, I said, you know, we're not always the perfect fit for every client. Um, and not every client or every job is the perfect fit for us. So, you know, at the end of our conversation today, if, if, if I'm feeling that way, if you're feeling that way, 
all I ask is for a little bit of honesty. Um, and I promise you, there's never any hard feelings, and, and we can part company Talk about friends. not playing games. Like, uh, this this yeah. is going to – selling this job is going to help pay my mortgage. So if, if it's not going to happen, let's just part as friends. Like, yeah. Why play the games? So if you take if you take that pressure off initially, um, you're going to have better conversations. That's the first part. Um, the second part is that um, it it has to be about the customer. So, you know, one of the mistakes I made early on, and I still hear sales reps do this, is you know we talk about getting a last look. Um, to me, a last look is is a selfish move. It's about the salesperson. So when I set up when I tee up my next step agreements, I want to make it about the customer. You know, Mrs. Jones, as you start to review the estimates, you're you're probably going to see scopes and and overall prices all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very detailed, uh, but you know, based upon that and and your review, you're likely to have some questions. Um, so I'd like to set up a time just to walk through, address any questions that that have come up, address any concerns that you may have. Um, as you mentioned, Andrew, you know, I'll broach the topic of. As you meet with other and interview other contractors, the scope of the work could be different, and, and I can help you make some sense of that as well. Um, and most importantly, I, I want to make sure that I, I've captured your expectations and I understand those well and up front and make sure I have the scope of the work that accurate. Was, that was th- three sort of reasons all in, all in one word track, and any, any one of those, I think, if, if you're an I-10, if you believe in, in yourself – your product and your market, if you if and and you've got the right word track, or or sorry, you've got bond and rapport with the customer. You've removed the games. We're on a friend level. Why would they not give you? Why would they not honor that? Right. And that's and 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 that's all. So to me, that's how the professional approaches it because that's I'm making that all about the customer's benefit. You know, I'm not going out and saying, hey, if we're higher. You know, give me give me a last opportunity. I'll work right, and yeah. I hear that all the time. I'm sure you hear that all the time, but you've you've already devalued um, what you're what you're driving, the value and the experience you bring to the customer. Um, so that's the second piece, and the third key piece is making sure it's specific. Um, you know, so a next a good next step agreement isn't. Um, you know, Mrs. Jones, if I haven't heard from you in about a week, do you mind if I give you a call? When I'm I, not good enough. Not, not that's good not enough. specific at all. Um, we know where that leads to to voicemails. Um, so when I before I leave that client, um, we're setting up another calendar appointment, specific date, specific time, to get back together. And when I say get back together, most of mine are done on the phone. And you, so before we jump to the next script, yeah. On on that, you know, they're busy and you're busy. It, if somebody pushes back and says, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really busy. Just give me a ring next week." Well, I mean, Mrs. Jones, in in all fairness, I, I responding, being responsive to you is important to me, and and delivering on our brand is important. Would it be okay if we went ahead and set up a time so that we don't miss each other, so and and I'm able to meet with you? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's 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 totally fair, and I mean, you said this earlier. It's Getting these successfully is my litmus test. If if somebody readily agrees to it, that means I've done a good job of controlling, leading, and pacing, finding their pain, understanding motivations. Um, I know I have a, a serious prospect that's really interested. So. Nice. Uh, all right, so script number two was, oh, boy, 
Rejection. Oh, 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 oh boy. Dealing with rejection. Can we skip this one? Yeah. <laughs> I see Carter getting nervous. <laughs> rejection. Uh, all right. So uh, the amateur. You know, Jim, I, I got to tell you, no is a rejection. I mean, uh, when they when they say no, they're rejecting me. Uh, I I hate how no impacts my day. I it, you know, I especially like if I hear no first thing in the morning, it just ruins my day. First appointment, it just ruins my day. Mm. You know, Andrew. Personally, I learn from every no. Um, I move on from no in five minutes. A no is just a number getting me closer to my goals. I usually get four no's out of ten. SW, 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 next, Andrew. Some will, some won't. So what? Next. I love it, baby. If you're going <laughs> to, right, if you're going to, even 60%, if you're going to, if you're going to close six out of 10, win six out of 10, you're going to lose four. Yeah. Why not be prepared for it? Um, you know, we all go through slumps. We all have tough times. And, and again, I'm talking specifically about our role as sales, as a salesperson. Um, one aspect of this, I, I think, sometimes gets overlooked uh, is we talk about rejection, but I think there's an aspect of this also when it comes to winning that I, I won that job because of me or mm -hmm. the customer bought me. And that, I think, is even more insidious because it leads to the thought process of when they don't buy from you, they, they rejected you personally. Yeah. So even the wins, you have to be careful of. I, I did a great job in my role, and I, I qualified, found pain, and was able to close uh, the right customer um, or a good customer for our company. Yeah. But even weeding somebody out, you know, a great like I, w I was able to weed out and get to know quickly. That needs to be a success in role. Mm -hmm. So they're not they're not buying you, or they're not rejecting you. Right. They're buying. How would you say it? They're buying the service that you're offering some people will some people won't yeah yeah they're they're purchasing the service and the experience that you represented cool all right yeah. so we got one more script to hit here uh asking direct questions um the amateur side here uh uh you know what jim I, sometimes i don't want to risk upsetting my prospect you know i people buy from me because they like me uh, I, I got to be careful what questions I ask. I, you know, I, I don't want to be rude. Mm. Well, Andrew, I, I've always found it's important to get in close. You know, asking direct questions and, and bringing me, my, my prospect through the pain funnel is of utmost importance. That's how I create value and sell at a higher cost price. I like it. Yeah. Um, so th this was another... Um, a switch I flipped many, many years ago. Um, and one of the quotes that I always think about is uh, from uh, Jeffrey Gittimer's book, The Little Red Book is Selling. Great book. Uh, that's a, Yeah, that's another wonderful, easy read. Um, I, as you can see, I like easy reads. <laughs> Very remedial, Bull, please. Bullet points, <laughs> uh, large type, small pages. Maybe some cartoon pictures in there. Nice, uh, nice. But so he, he said in that book, he says, um, uh, earn a sale, earn a commission, um, uh, earn a friend, um, earn a fortune. And so I took that to mean, so earn a friend. So 
my goal is to build relationships with my clients. I, I think of it less as a transactional piece and more as building a relationship. And I, I've always said for years, I, when I'm meeting with clients, whether it's you know a new prospect or a repeat client, I always take um, a very consultative approach. You know, I, I want to slow things down. I want to ask questions. I want to find out where it hurts, why they're thinking about this project now, why it's important to them. Um, what, you know, what's important to them? Where do their concerns lie? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When, when you take the, when you take the time to slow it down, um, I've heard, I've heard you say this, Andrew, a million times, the best way to speed the sale up is to slow it down. If you can spend an extra 10, 15 minutes with your clients, I promise you by asking questions and getting them to open up, I guarantee you are going to start closing at a higher rate, uh, closing as far as yeses, of course. All right, so why don't we why don't we round out here with maybe some key takeaways? So if if someone uh, listening uh, wanted to get started, maybe with this principle of conquering resistance, um, where's where's one place they could start? Either in the sales process or maybe just in in practicing self talk. What what suggestion would you have for somebody listening out there that wants to get started? Well, that's a great question. Um, I well, first I would start. We're, we're friends, Jimmy. I ask yeah. direct questions. You, I, you do. You do. We'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> um, so I would definitely, I would definitely suggest um, getting a, it's it's readily available on Amazon. Getting a copy of Stephen Pressfield's book, um, The War of Art. Um, like I said, it's a, it's an easy one to two hour read, and I promise you, it will knock your socks off. Awesome. But as far as so, as far as where to start. So again, I'm looking the, at this through the eyes of a salesperson at this point. The role of a salesperson. Um, we actually created a very good resource here at Nolan Consulting Group, the Self Evaluation Wheel. Yeah. Um, so what what that is, and that's available, I'm sure, on the Summit Library. On the yeah, Summit Library. Great place to start. Um, yeah. It's basically just, and it's um, we've we've broken down. Um, 14 characteristics or traits that make up a really great, well-rounded salesperson. And it's just an honest way to look at yourself in the mirror. Um, so you, that's a great uh, exercise to go through. And you can rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 how strong you are, honestly, um, how strong you are in each of those um, areas. And I would start with maybe the one or the two, one or two that you you really feel strongly about, where you need some help and some work, and focus on that. You know, it's that that notion of the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. When I first started taking sales training many many years ago, um, I, I became very excited about it because I realized, oh, there there actually is a process. I don't have mm. to just wing this. But I tried to implement everything at once and failed miserably. And, and then I got um, the advice to, hey, slow it down. Let's work on one or two things at a time and really start to master those and, and then, then go on to the next piece. Um, so do this slowly. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank great you, podcast. Andrew. Always, always great to be here with you and your uh, listening audience. You bet. Great having you in the studio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business consulting firm located outside Philadelphia. Have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode? We'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.